You're listening to the Bitching and Bolusing Podcast with Courtney and Brittany. Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Bitching and Bolusing Podcast. I'm Brittany. I'm Courtney. And today we are going to talk about relationships and disabilities and how that looks, especially when you have a child who's disabled. Yes, there are a lot of nuances to relationships in your life after having a disabled child. And we're going to touch on a bunch of different things today and kind of dabble in what that was like for us and likely what it was like for other caregivers. Those beginning days when you're when you first find out your child's disabled, a lot, if not all of your relationships uh, really shift. Things start to change, whether that's friendships, your relationships with family members, Really, honestly, for me, I have to say every relationship with even like a stranger on the street has been altered from having a disabled child. It really just kind of shifts things. Um, Some of the things we discussed today, you might relate to, you might not, but we're here to just talk it out and see kind of where we can help guide people and, and maybe guide ourselves. I know Courtney and I spoke in previous episodes about the birth injury and the traumatic deliveries of our children. Um, But we're going to kind of move on a little bit from that and talk about the early days. I remember, especially when I brought Cyrus home from the NICU, it wasn't just my husband and I that really had to shift and adjust and deal with our own grief in terms of Cyrus's injury and the potential results that would come from that. We had to deal with a lot of other people's grief too. And that was really, really challenging in the early days. I think dealing with a lot of other people's grief really hindered me from dealing with my own grief. And I I noticed in those early days, and it took a while for me to really see it, I tried to hold everyone else's grief for them. And it honestly stopped me from reaching the level of acceptance that I have now reached. I felt like I was walking on eggshells with everyone else. I'm the kind of person where I like to talk things out. It's the way that I process things. It's the way that I process trauma. And a lot of people didn't want to talk about it. They kind of wanted to live with their head in the sand. They didn't necessarily want to accept or admit the possible long-term outcomes that came from Cyrus's brain injury. And because of that, I was not able to openly talk about it. Openly talking about it is really how I came to a higher level of acceptance. When I was able to talk about it openly, I really had to watch what I said. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, you know, like... Oh, goodness. I remember, like, even as Cyrus got a little bit older and we were kind of realizing, well, he's probably going to need a wheelchair. I remember people saying, like, why do you want to talk about that? Did you also get the, if if you said anything like, oh, I, my child might need a wheelchair or, oh, my child 
will require a gait trainer to walk, did you often also get the response of, you never know what he can do. He he might walk without it. He might not need that. Yes. There was a lot of that. (laughs) You know, it's like that deflecting sort of not wanting to really accept. Yeah, it was that. And it was a lot of, well, why are you giving up on him? Ah, I got that a lot just push yes like it's a failure it's It's a a failure if if the wheelchair or the gay trainer is a requirement yes even with like the g-tube feeding i've had so many people be like well don't you want him to eat by mouth one day and it's like i genuinely do not give a shit whether he eats by mouth or not like if he wants to eat by mouth i want him to work towards that and i want to help him get the tools If Cyrus does not care whether he eats by mouth or not, I don't care either. If he doesn't care whether he walks or not, I don't care either. I want him to live comfortably. I want him to have confidence and I want him to have independence. And all of that looks a lot different for him than everyone else. But it doesn't reduce the quality of those things for him. So there was a lot of like really walking on eggshells in those early days. I'm saying all of this because I know a lot of people have dealt with this. I know a lot of people are still dealing with this. I know people who are dealing with this and their kid's like 16 years old. (laughs) And they're dealing with the grief of family members, of friends, because there's just this whole like, oh, I wish your child wasn't disabled. Oh, I wish life was easier for you. I wish this. You don't have to deal with that. And if dealing with all of that is hindering you from getting to a higher level of acceptance and a higher level of comfort, just stop. Stop dealing with it. Just realize it's not your shit to hold on to. You don't have to grieve for other people's grief. (laughs) No, 100%. And listen, you, you have choices. So when we're saying, hey, you don't have to deal with it, you can cut people out of your life or you can choose to just not hear the things they want to say and ignore them. Or you can choose to dwell on it and continue to hinder yourself. Honestly, your life is turned upside down. You discover your child's diagnosis and you're just trying to keep your head above water. I imagine if you're in that situation, at some point you have reached a pinnacle with one relationship in your life that has been like, what is happening? Like, you're not on the same page as me. You're not seeing my child the way I want to see my child. And it doesn't matter who that person is. But you you really do need to, at some point, make a decision as to what you're going to allow in your life. And sometimes that means cutting people off. Sometimes that means calling people out. Sometimes that means just accepting and letting it, you know, under the bridge sort of situation where you're just like, okay, well, that person's just going to be like that. I can't change that person. (laughs) It is what it is. But then set boundaries. If you can't change somebody, you need to set boundaries. Yes, Mm -hmm. correct. For me, I have experienced all these various different things we're talking about. And particularly, I love my mother with all my heart. (laughs) But my mother was a a huge challenge when um, Lena was born, when we realized that there was going to be a lifelong disability. But she would be like, I pray every night he's going to heal. He's going to be, he's going to wake up tomorrow better. And, you know, I would see her one week and then like two weeks later, she'd be like, so he walks now? (laughs) Like, I don't don't know how that works, but (laughs) I'm like, not really. You know, I used to in the beginning just kind of ignore it. And then I started saying things like, well, whether he walks or not doesn't matter, you know, and I would say these things to her and 
I just kind of realized I didn't want to push her out of my life. I wanted her to be a part of my life. I really couldn't change that part of her. So I just kind of put my blinders on with her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then there are people in my life that never stopped with that and kind of cut them out. I felt like for me, kind of picked and choose who I wanted in my life and who I didn't. And it's a tricky situation. Me talking about my own mother, that's really hard. That's, That's a really hard thing. That's the grandmother to my children, you know, it's like, do I want to cut her out? Do I not? You you fall into this really gray area sometimes, but you have to do what's right for you. Yeah, I think is really what I'm trying to say more than anything. And there's going to be people who disappear right out the gate, meaning like there's people in your life that the moment your child's disability comes around, they're just out of your life. There's people who stay in your life but have no idea Mm. how to handle it and that's what kind of Brittany's talking about where you're kind of carrying their grief and your grief because they they're there for you they want to be there but they are also projecting their grief onto you and then there's the people who are just there get it they're on the same page with you you know it's like three different levels yeah it's really hard to figure out your own shit (laughs) when there's all this other shit. <laughs> yeah. And you really have to, you really have to separate it. It's not just the outside forces, but it's within yourself too. You really have to take a step back and think about what's being projected onto your child, whether it's from you yeah. as a parent or whether it's from others, right? And this was something that I dealt with a lot really early on. And I still have moments of dealing with this where I'm projecting things onto both of my kids, right? But especially Cyrus. I eventually realized that other people were doing that too. There was always a lot of, well, maybe he'll walk with crutches. As if like, well, that's the best case scenario instead of a wheelchair. And it's like, but what if he's pushing himself to hurt himself? Or what if that just doesn't work for him? It kind of made me realize that a lot of reasons why I was hearing these things from others was because they were projecting this thought that walking is superior to using a wheelchair or talking is superior to using an eye gaze device. And a lot of that is because people can't understand that the baseline that these kids have and what their childhood looks like looks so much different than what our childhood looked like and what the childhood of families or friends looked like that because that baseline is so different, people automatically assume it's worse. Automatically, yeah. Automatically. And so they project this sorrow of, well, you're not going to have the same quality childhood or adulthood that I had because it looks so much different. (laughs) I remember talking to like family early on and I remember just saying, I want Cyrus to be so proud of who he is. And I want him to be so proud of his disability that that's just part of him. That's Cyrus. And if family can't accept that, if friends can't accept that, if family can't become accustomed to the idea of him using a wheelchair, (laughs) then don't be around. This is his life and he should not have to feel embarrassed or ashamed or like he's not good enough or what he does isn't good enough he shouldn't have to feel any of that because other people are projecting their shit onto him no absolutely not 
it starts to lead into also their social lives in those relationships, you know, being included in things, you know, you just got me thinking about how in most cases when we're like with family and friends or birthday parties and stuff like that, or we're out, there's nothing that is accessible and inclusive for Lino. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it goes hand in hand with what you're saying, because there's still this divide of how people accept Lino and, and how they think about him and what they think he can or cannot do it's a constant what can he cannot do situation you're constantly smacked in the face with that Mm. all the time I'm always (laughs) under the impression he could do everything (laughs) and me too I was literally just gonna say that I was gonna be like with the right tools with like the right thoughts of it he can do it all like it it takes a lot of extra work (laughs) exactly (laughs) he can do it (laughs) but so many people again I'm not trying to hate on anybody because I, I really do think most of the people in my life do everything with good intention But I think that there's just such a lack of cultural acceptance that people don't even know how to start to accept (laughs) my child. They really honestly don't know that that groundwork has not been done in society in most Mm -hmm. cases, right? And in most families, you don't have any experience with disability prior. Everyone around you is grappling as well yeah it makes our lives so much more stressful when we're trying to also take on your load and trying to teach you and educate you and guide you it's so much going on and and really at the point of all of this there is a child and that child just wants to live their life just wants to live their life yeah just have fun you know and they just want to be a child our kids are really typical toddlers when you really get to know them they're typical toddlers yeah they really are and they just they have their tantrums they want to play they don't want to work they want to you know like they're typical kids and sometimes it is so hard it's like pulling teeth to get the people around you to just see it like that. Yeah, I remember uh, Cyrus is, I love his orthopedic doctor. His orthopedic doctor actually has a disability himself. One of the first times that we ever had an appointment with him, he sat me down and he was like, do not treat this child any differently than any other child. The way you're going to do things with him is going to look different, but you do those things and you do not treat him differently. Gosh, hearing that really early on was so good. (laughs) It was so important. And like, especially coming from him, it was so important for me to hear that. Listen, we're like, what, four and a half years into it almost. And I do think that everybody who's involved in our lives, for the most part, they work really hard to include Cyrus. I think a lot of that was like you said, Courtney, setting the groundwork as parents. (laughs) This is what inclusion looks like. This is how it's going to look. I remember for Cyrus's fourth birthday, we actually planned a bowling birthday party with just immediate family. And I remember um, being asked like, well, how will he do that? Hmm. And it was kind of just like, how does he do anything? Like we figure it out and we make it work and we do it and it looks different than how other kids do it and that's okay. And guys, bowling is shockingly accessible. (laughs) 
Like, I think you'd be surprised how many things are shockingly yes. accessible. A little creativity, like you're saying, they could do it. It oh. looks different, but they could do it. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. Oh, it was a dino-themed birthday party. They had a dino, like, ramp thing to put the ball down. He was so excited. We ended up using his Upsy for a little bit. And then when he got tired with that, he was in his wheelchair. And it was so good. And everyone kind of rallied around to include him and... It can be done in four and a half years in, like we're doing it and pretty much everyone else is doing it, but it's a lot of groundwork and it was a lot of advocating and it was a lot of me saying like, these are the boundaries we're setting as a family for Cyrus. If you cannot accept what his disability looks like and what it may look like long-term, then there's the door. (laughs) I'm I'm not going to have any external factors involved in my son's life that's potentially going to create this internalized ableism for him that's going to make him think that what he does isn't good enough or he's not good enough because of his disability and what his life looks like. I mean, he is living a very wonderful, rich life. Can we talk about how that affects everyone around him as well? Also him. Let's actually also isolate how that makes him feel because to be included, to be able to participate like that, to be able to have everyone around him celebrate him, the joy it had to have brought him, that it brought you as his parents, you yeah. and your husband, that it brought Alden yeah. as his sibling, that feeling that all of you went home with at the end of that day is... I wish I could just bottle that up because I know that feeling and I I would bottle that up. (laughs) I would feel that all day, every day. It is, it is so amazing to give that to Cyrus and to have other people be involved. Like there's, there's just no words to actually genuinely describe it. Yes. Yeah. I totally want to bottle that up and just keep it forever. And that night everyone was on a high. We all went home and we had grandparents like calling and texting and my sister was texting me and everyone was like, we had the best time. It all happened just because he was included in this situation. Mm -hmm. And there was, honestly, there was never a moment that he wasn't included because it got to the point (laughs) where he was starting to bowl for everyone else. He was taking their turns. He was taking everyone's turns. And he had like this same ball he wanted to use every time. My goodness, it was the best thing ever. And it can be done as long as you just think about it and just put your mind to it. I get that it's not easy. Actually, let me rephrase that because it is easy. It is. Right? Inclusion actually is easy. Yes. Yes. But the concept of inclusion is easy. So I don't want to make it sound like, oh, it's not easy to be inclusive. (laughs) That's not really what I'm trying to say. How I'd rather rephrase it is I get that it doesn't always come naturally. Yes. From that perspective, and that's what you're just saying, is it actually does require work. Yes. We're not talking about rocket science, but it does require a little bit of brain power to think about the situation, the event, the environment, the people involved, the activity itself. You really have to actually sit 
and think about it because you got to get a little bit creative sometimes, you know, it's not always going to be something that has already something built in or that you can bring to immediately make it inclusive for a child like Cyrus or Lino. It is still actually quite an easy concept, but I do get that like it could be complicated trying to figure out how to make something that's not accessible and not inclusive. How, how do you make it inclusive? Immediately, your first thought when you think of bowling is actually not inclusion. Right. And, yes. and I say this because how many times when you picture a bowling alley, do you see disabled people in a wheelchair or using any sort of a mobility aid, anything like that? Bowling, right. you don't. Mm-hmm. You don't see it often, right? I'm not going to say you never see it. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen. Right. But you don't see it often. And from that angle, it, it's not, I hate the word, but it's not normal. It's not like what you see in the world. So from that perspective, I, I do get why some people falter or, or don't put in the time or the effort. It's definitely tricky, but it's certainly easy. It is. I think it's easy. I think it can add a layer of exhaustion onto the parents or the caregivers because you're the ones having to think of this and, and you're the ones having to think of how to make it inclusive. It takes a lot for us to have to step up and have to lead by example. I could easily say, and Courtney, you would agree that before we had our kids who have disabilities, I, I very highly doubt we ever took notice to any of this stuff. So it could very easily be said that nothing really seems like it could be inclusive, right? Because like, is anyone really paying attention unless they have to? I know I wasn't. And so it adds the layer of exhaustion. And I think that that's kind of why Courtney and I are, are driving this home saying, you know, you can't deal with other people's grief on this. And it can all be done. It's gonna look a lot different. <laughs> And that's okay. That doesn't mean it's worse at all. You know, I I feel like in a lot of ways, because things don't come so easily for our family with the inclusion, it's almost better, right? It's like you succeed at it. it. That bowling party was so good because we put so much work into it and we put so much effort into it. And we really had to do all of these things to have Cyrus right there up in center. It was so rewarding afterwards because of it. I mean, it was the best bowling party I've ever been to. (laughs) And I've been to a lot of bowling parties. Um, And so that's why it's just really important to not deal with anyone else's grief because if people are really grieving over your kid's disabilities or who they'd be without their disability, then they're not seeing the capabilities that these kids have at hand in the given moment, right? I mean, Cyrus can't get up and walk across the room, but he can use his gait trainer like a champ, you know, and and he needs some help bowling, but he can bowl like a champ. And it's like, that was one of the best days of his life. And so if people are really holding you back because they're sad and they're grieving, that's not going to help anyone. It's not going to help you move forward as a parent not going to help your kid at all I think you just need to nip that in the bud (laughs) yeah cut out toxic people yeah on the other spectrum I think uh, for me not that I'm carrying other people's grief in my in my family and my friends I'm not really carrying their grief but sometimes there's this I guess I would describe it as like a a hood over their eyes like we're just kind of pretending it doesn't exist Mm. does that make sense 
It does. <laughs> and hear me out on this because there is a level of always feeling like the odd man out. Mm-hmm. And mostly because I get a lot of this feeling like everything around me in terms of planning and this and that is just so easy. And I'm always bogged down with so much thought. Yes. <laughs> like yes. The, you can't walk out the door without 1,000 thoughts it's crushing. To, to ensure that you actually have everything you need or that you're going to be able to give both your children the experience you're going to have or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. And I guess this is a little bit what you were talking about is that exhaustion part of it. You have to overcompensate for everyone when you're trying to, like, just live your life. Particularly what I'm thinking about right now is I'm, I'm thinking about my best friends. It is always such a complex situation. And mm-hmm. it's not always ideal. I'm not going to lie. I love you girls to death. But it is it is not always ideal. And it's an interesting thing because for the first time, I, I felt really, really seen and really like this small little weight was lifted off my shoulders because one of my girlfriends in our group, it's like a group of 10 of us, she texted out and was like, hey, guys, like I made this spreadsheet of like what days were available with our kids, what days were available just for girls night, whatever, you know, and immediately I had so much anxiety about this spreadsheet, because I was Mm. like, great, just another calendar for me to put work Mm -hmm. into. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie. I was like, Oh, no, I have to plan and think of these things, which is hard to even think of scheduling anything in our lives past like, like a month. It really is hard to think in the future. Immediately, I was like, Hey, great idea. But it's hard for me to plan out that way. And she had the most brilliant, perfect response. She's like, actually, Courtney, ideally, I want everybody else's dates so we could turn around and say, hey, can you do this date, this date, this date? Mm. Oh, all right. Mm -hmm. This I can do. And it was the first time that I felt somebody else took the load off. Oh, yeah. If that makes sense. Does that make sense? It (laughs) does. Yeah, because it's such an invisible load, too. It is. It is. I don't want the pressure of feeling like I have added things on my plate. You know, nobody wants the pressure of feeling like you have added things on your plate at all, no matter your situation. But I really am tapped out pretty much any time of any day. I'm usually tapped out. So it was just a really special moment. (laughs) It was the first time that I was like, oh, this is like so cool because everybody's schedule is in here and I could just be like, okay, this is what they're planning. I could like jump in and kind of try to figure it out. Granted, it's still way easier for them to plan anything, but it was just like a really pinnacle moment in my girlfriend's relationship. And it really does matter when somebody helps kind of participate in that with you. Yeah, I have gotten really good for the most part about asking for help. It's like the only way that I can really stay sane. And then I've turned mostly to my mom, but I have gotten so good at asking her for help because otherwise I would drown. And I think that that's the thing is that people don't realize if they're not involved, (laughs) how much work you need to do for other people to have a good time. (laughs) Yes. Even if we just go out for a weekend to like, my in-laws or if we see my sister or if we see my parents like just to literally walk out of the house is so much work it really is (laughs) for everyone else to not see that and to enjoy all of the fruits of your labor (laughs) 
<laughs> right? It's like, so true. It's still worth it, but <laughs> it's still worth it. But but I think like kind of like what you're saying, Courtney, is I think that it's really important to like have some sort of validation when you're going through that, especially from people who aren't, right? I mean, just like leaving the house and going somewhere, if whoever we're visiting, if they even just say like, oh, you know, I, I really appreciate this so much. I know this isn't easy for you. God. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's already worth it. I'm not Like, I, I won't say it's not worth it. It is, but it makes me feel so good and so valid because let me tell you, there are times that we leave the house, and I'm like, why the fuck did we leave the house? <laughs> <laughs> I would say that right? like, it's like a 50-50. Yeah, it's definitely 50-50. So that, that just helps a lot. And, I, you know, if any listeners are out there that, you know, you're wanting to know how to better support your friend or your sibling or, or you know, whoever that has a disabled child, like, just that little bit of validation can go a long way. Huge way. way. like I'm shocked at how much I would just appreciate someone being like dude good job like good job I would be like thank you thank you very much (laughs) without yeah and like without the whole like I don't know how you do thing like yes without Without the pity you know without the yeah not the pity but it's true like it's so true you know and we travel a lot and in many cases, it's really very much unseen because it's just between me and, you know, Stefano and the kids, you know, meaning nobody else is really witnessing us traveling. When we do travel with family and they're really just like, you fucking rock it, man. And yeah. we're just like, yes, thank you. Yeah, we do. <laughs> thank you. You're right. We, we do We absolutely rock it. do. <laughs> we did this. <laughs> And that just that really does mean a lot because, you know, when I when I drop off Luca to be babysat or, you know, or if someone comes to to watch him and let's say Lino's at school or Lino's doing something else, whatever the case may be, it's so easy to walk out the door. Oh, God. Like, it's like, oh, you know what? Like, there's some fruit in the fridge. There's a few pouches over there. Hey, if you really if he gets cranky, there's microwavable mac and cheese, you know, right? (laughs) like it's so easy to do that with Lino. One, just to get the support to do that is complicated. But to do that with Lino is like, oh, I got to prep this med. You got to do this at this time. This happens. And it's not to say that all those things are awful. It's just to say that the process of leaving Lino in someone else's hands versus Luca is really eye opening at how simple it could just Mm. be like walking out the door. You're just like, yeah. peace, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I am not exaggerating. I made a 40-page, 40-page medical journal for Cyrus when I went into the hospital for two days to have a C-section with all. I did the same, the same exact thing. It was the first time yeah. I made a medical binder. Yeah, me too. And I was like, I'm gone for two days, but, you know, everything's here. And it's literally like I'll get up and grab my keys and leave Alden with Grandma, and I'm like, bye. Yeah. And it's it's crazy. I mean, that you know, we're really lucky that my mother especially can handle both boys. You know, she knows the ins and outs of Cyrus, which is great. And, you know, the same with Alden. And there's also the difference of anxiety levels, right? It's like if yeah. I leave Alden, I'm like, yeah, you're good. You know, maybe you get a little overly tired and that's it. If I leave Cyrus, I'm like, oh, my God. 
please don't have a seizure while I'm gone or don't choke on your secretions. Yeah, anything. anything. Yeah, yeah. When I made the medical binder when I went in to have the C-section for Luca, it was like, okay, I did this for this specific thing, but in the back of my head was like, I should have done this sooner anyway. Because realistically, at any point if something were to happen to me and Stefano or, you know, one of us or both of us and somebody needed to step in, Lino's care is that complex that it's not like you could just walk in and be like, all right, I got this. Like, uh, we're all good. You can't. And there's all those those idiosyncrasies, right? Like all Mm -hmm. the little things that you do along the way during the day that people don't even pick up on, but they're so specific to your child and how you work with your child every day. You know, all those little things and just to have them in one place to be like, okay, someone else can pick up kind of where I left off. God forbid anything were were to ever happen. I have to update ours, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't updated ours either. (laughs) So all this talk about being prepared, I am not prepared. So there hey you go. listeners, if you have a medical binder, then now might be a good time to update that. <laughs> now is definitely a good time to update that. You're welcome. Let's bring it past that, yes. right? So then we're talking now about the, the second kids, right? And then you start to see this other shift, right? If you're in an interabled family or you decide to have another kid, there's this weird shift, that happens and I remember I mentioned in our episode with Jamie when I told everybody that I was pregnant everyone was shocked oh as if it was an accident right like did you did you plan on this why would you do that on purpose (laughs) why would you do that you already have a disabled kid but everyone was really shocked totally act like it was an accident I don't know if you got this (laughs) but I remember from multiple people getting asked if the baby was healthy and if there were any genetic things that Cyrus had, which like Cyrus, (laughs) Cyrus's disability is not from genetics. There's no genetics involved. (laughs) And even if there was, it's still inappropriate. I have to say both of those things I experienced. I had, I had the not flat outright shock of like, oh my God, you're having a second child, but you just felt the vibe. I don't know if that makes sense, but like you just felt people were looking at both Stefano and I like, are are you guys nuts? Yeah. (laughs) And then I constantly throughout the entire pregnancy got the, is everything healthy? Everything looks okay? Mm, And It feels dirty. Oh, it does. And I kept like reiterating everything was perfect the first time. Yeah, it felt so dirty. And I really hated that question. And I I hated how people acted. And the thing is, is that these kids are so deserving of siblings. Oh, 1000%. It really shocks me of how many people don't think that Cyrus deserves to have a sibling just because he's disabled or that his his sibling doesn't deserve him or that we don't deserve to have more children yeah. just because we have a disabled child yeah. <laughs> or that you know especially after I had Luca people would say after seeing the way the family dynamic grew and how Lino's relationship in, uh, with Luca grew people would be like I'm so glad you did this it was like they were the yeah. same people who were giving you the face when yes. they found out you were pregnant. Whoa, my gosh, 100%. 100%. Like, we hear all the time now people being like, oh, I get it. I get why you did it. And it's like, 
Or like, or people just being like, oh my God, I love seeing their relationship together and I love seeing their bond and it's so beautiful. And it's like, yeah. They're siblings. (laughs) It's no different. They're siblings. They just see each other as exactly who they are. And gosh, I really think the siblings could teach the world a lot just to see how Alden interacts with Cyrus and how Cyrus interacts with Alden. It's effortless. It's just effortless there's never Alden thinking Cyrus can't do things I I really think you know he's still so little but I honestly think like he's just like oh with mom and dad anything's possible (laughs) (laughs) you know and I wish other people would see that and just to have that on Cyrus's team like just to have more people on Cyrus's team like his brother would be amazing it really would it genuinely would and I and I wish it didn't have to be a situation that some people needed to see it in the flesh needed Mm -hmm. to see you know interabled siblings together to understand that that's very complicated and and very isolating as parents I mean I still struggle a lot with that you know when we're talking about how people see two interabled siblings Yes, before they were born, there were some people who just didn't understand how that dynamic would look. And then after they're born, they're like, okay, like, I get it. Look at this. This is beautiful. This is amazing. But they still treat them differently. You yeah. know, they still they still don't treat them equally. Obviously, it's, this is very generic statement. I'm not saying everybody. But there is a lot of situations. It goes both ways where either... Luca is receiving all the attention or Lino is receiving all the attention. It's like, it's really hard to find this like balance. Although I would say the majority of times it is still people will engage more with Luca, Mm. especially strangers. Like strangers will always be like, oh, what a cute baby. And then like Lino's right there. (laughs) I do see that. I do see that a lot with strangers. I think closer to us I don't necessarily see that we deal with a lot of weird projections put onto Cyrus right I think that we deal with a lot of people who just feel bad for Cyrus because he can't do what comes so easily to his brother and so because of that I see that it's almost overcompensated with Cyrus it really makes me upset sometimes because then you know poor Alden sitting there being like hey me too Uh, (laughs) and it's like I constantly try to drive it home this is how animosity is going to develop I think that that's really another thing that families have to pay attention to and parents because it's like you said Courtney like we start (laughs) with you know people treating our kids a certain way or having grief over a certain thing and then you go and you have a second kid and then that grief just manifests into something different which can look like overcompensation for the disabled kid and you know I don't want to say ignoring the non-disabled sibling but certainly not making as much of a to-do and I mean yeah we we deal with that a lot and I really have to sit down and I have to tell people like listen it's gotta be equal Cyrus gets so much attention all the time from Kyle and I for the smallest things, right? Like, Mm -hmm. he'll be in therapy and he'll stand for five seconds and we're all screaming and hooting and hollering. And then Alden goes and takes his first steps and we're all like, yay, woohoo, good job. Other people are there and they're like, oh, you know, Cyrus, yay, woohoo, yeah, Cyrus. And I'm like, oh, yes, but, you know, they get their moments individually and then they get their moments together. 
it wouldn't be fair to Alden to have these big moments for him, or even the small moments, have to be spread out between the both of them. And then Cyrus goes and, and swallows safely, and we're all hooting and hollering for him, and then Alden just, you know, gets ignored. And that's really this, like, fine line of making mm-hmm. sure it's dispersed <laughs> evenly with these kids, because Alden's getting older, and he's starting to, to pick up on things a lot. It's almost like I see things that he's starting to do and how he's cheering on his brother. And it's so sweet, right? It's like every morning and every evening we have Cyrus help us push his syringes down for his medication. And Alden has started to clap (laughs) for Cyrus. And it's this like, oh, it'll melt your heart. You know, he's now doing it for Cyrus, but we have to do it for him too. And that's why it's really tricky because there is still a lot of grief from other people and it is very much so just manifesting in a different way. And I think a lot of times Alden gets left in the dust because of that. It's not fair. I don't know how it's going to look as Alden gets older and starts, you know, walking up to people or asking for them or this or that. I, I don't know how it'll look. I know right now it's a little messy. <laughs> to say the the least. <laughs> I often think about the same exact thing, you know. I I myself even still sometimes I naturally navigate my attention to Lino even if it's just cuz I'm just trying to keep an eye on him mm-hmm. medically. Yep. I don't even realize I'm doing it myself. Yeah. And so what what I notice and I have to put in that extra effort to be sure that I'm not letting Lino's disability or Lino's medical status interfere with how I'm viewing my kids. Yeah. I think about that and then I think about everybody else has to be going through a similar thing when they're interacting with my children because the people in our lives are acutely aware of Lino's medical conditions and his disability. And it really is complicated for everybody close by to ensure that there's equal attention to the kids, you know, that it's not this. I don't want Luca to ever feel that his brother's a burden or that his brother has to be the primary focus all the time. That is not how families work. There, there is never one person in a family that is more important. There is never one person in a family that deserves more of anything, for that matter. And we all go through periods where, yes, maybe there's a little bit more attention on that, that person in, in a family. But I don't want that to naturally be that Luca grows up thinking that he's just the afterthought. Yeah, and I think the same can be said where you don't want Lino to think that he's the burden. Yes, and then, of course, and, yeah. And that's what's, gosh, that's what's so important, and that's why, like, what you say in front of your kids is so important, too. I mean, it's kind of, if we're talking about relationships as a whole, it's very similar to things that we deal with in school. One of the first IEP meetings that we ever had before Cyrus was actually in te- attending And they were like, oh, you know, the other kids are so good. They're so helpful with the disabled kids. And they're so helpful. And And there was such an emphasis on it. And, like, listen, if you're raising your kids, raise your kids right, right? And everyone who's a decent human is going to be helpful for their friends, right? I'll help you, Courtney. You'll help me. Neither of us are disabled. Like, you know, I help my husband. I help my friends. Like, 
to put this emphasis on it, and I have to shut that language right down because yeah. we we dealt with that a lot at the beginning of the year where it's like, oh, so-and-so's, oh, I think she really likes helping him out, and I think she really likes, and I'm like, no, listen, is my kid helping her out? Like, like let's, let's talk about that too. Let's make this language even and equal yeah. because Cyrus will live his entire life having somebody there to help him. He does yeah. not need to have his friendships have this caregiver facade over them. Yeah. and That's not a friendship. It's not a friendship. I mean, friends help friends, right? If I help the door open for somebody, like, are you going to make a big stink over it? Or Now you're that, best friends that, with that stranger. <laughs> yeah, or it's like, or is that only reserved if I hold the door open for somebody who's got a wheelchair? You know, it's like, you just, it, you just do the decent thing. And yeah. We dealt with that a lot, and it was a very, like, correcting the language of Cyrus doesn't need his friends to help him beyond how friends help them. He'll always have that. He'll always, he's got a nurse. <laughs> he's got me. He's got his dad. Like, he's, he's, he'll always have somebody there. And if he goes through life, especially early on like this, if this is ingrained in him, that anybody who has a relationship with him is helping, he's going to feel like a burden. Yeah. Keep it equal. Keep the language equal. <laughs> you know, it's same with, you know, my boys. Like, I don't want Alden to feel any sort like he's burdened, but I don't want Cyrus to feel like he is a burden because it's neither. Yeah. It's neither. No. It's so far from the truth. You know, we're talking a lot about how exhausting it can be as a parent and a caregiver in these situations. And this is just another added layer of the complexities we have to think about in, in terms of mm -hmm. all the relationships in our lives, whether it's mm -hmm. us with and other people. Lives. Yeah, whether it's our kids yeah. and, and the people around them. You've mentioned to me before as well, the relationship between like therapists and the kids. And oh, that's tricky too, <laughs> It right? gets really tricky, you know, because these kids do fall in love with their therapists they get very close and there's this feeling like a friendship is brewing. You know, they spend mm. a lot of time with their therapist, especially when you're doing intensives. You're doing these like grueling yeah. three weeks and you're you're kind of leaning on your therapist a little bit. You know, you, we watch our kids mm -hmm. kind of lean into them and be like, OK, like you're my. They become their safe space. Yeah, exactly. During a very unsafe mentally yeah. situation for them it really is you know and but that's also really dangerous because then mm. it's like their quote-unquote friend is being yeah, ripped no. from their lives yes <laughs> or, or their quote-unquote friend is making a demand there's so many different things that just as parents we are constantly evaluating every relationship around us it's it's yeah incredibly exhausting <laughs> It is, yeah, and I, oh, I think about that all the time with like therapists and teachers. It terrifies me sometimes, right? Because Cyrus has a one-on-one -on -one nurse in school. He adores her. He looks at her the same way he looks at me. <laughs> like she is his safe space, and she's such a good advocate for him. I literally, I cannot speak better about this woman I I love her too <laughs> but it genuinely terrifies me that he's building this relationship with her and this level of trust and she could just 
quit any day or she could be fired any day or they don't renew her contract or somebody else comes in and this and that yeah and it it's this very dangerous situation that we start getting into with our kids of this revolving door of people. Yeah. When it comes to friends, when it comes to classmates, it's like, these are your friends. You can love the other people. The other people are here for you. They're part of your team, but your friends, they're not here to take care of you (laughs) beyond taking care of your friend. You know, how a friend takes care of a friend. I just worry it'll cause some mental health issues later down the line and trust issues and all that. I'm sure there's going to be some level of trust issues as Mm -hmm. these people leave our kids' lives. I think that's just human nature to feel loss. They're Mm going to grieve these therapists, these teachers. I think on some level, all kids kind of go through similar with teachers and things like that. I also think about the added complexity of the relationships we create with like yeah. the therapist. Yes. And I don't know about you, because my spicy four-year-old, he gets mad as hell when I start talking <laughs> to his therapist. And yeah. let me tell you, sometimes the therapist is the only adult I have spoken to in like yeah. six days. and I am like hey what's up adult human being and Lino's like what the fuck mom I'm doing PT you know and it's I feel like that yeah and I feel like that's uncomfortable too (laughs) and I often think about like this poor kid's like shut the fuck up mom (laughs) this is my time this is my therapist this is my friend there's even that added layer that I see happening you know because these people that are part of your your child's life due to their disability or their medical needs they do they do become part of your life too Mm. They become family, honestly. Like, I I always say we see Cyrus's therapists more than we see our own family. Oh, that's so true. Especially when I was in early intervention. I was like, dude, you're like, you're in my house more than my own mom. (laughs) Yeah. And they know, like, they they know a lot more. (laughs) They know so much more. It's, like, really bad. The fact that like all my inhibitions sometimes go out the window and I'm like, Jesus, I just unloaded my whole history. Meanwhile, my child's like, I'm just trying to stay in here, man. Like, you know, it's like so bad. But it's hard. It's really hard. And, you know, I have to say, like, outside of our HIE moms group chat, I really still always feel like an outsider, except when I talk to good therapists, like Lino's therapist, not even like psychoanalysts. I'm talking about like physical therapists. I'm talking about speech therapists. Like that is the only other time that I genuinely feel like a safe space. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so complicated just all the way around. I think we're all kind of trying to navigate that and I don't know that there's a right answer or a wrong answer no I agree with that I I think I think some of the key points because there's really is no right or wrong I just think is you got to set your own personal boundaries you got to be able to not not focus on carrying other people's grief focus on your own grief yeah I think you got to be able to be creative, get inclusive, involve the others in your life to also be inclusive. I think there's just so many different things to talk about from this. I know we will do other episodes that 
sort of isolate a little bit more of what we're talking about here, these sorts of relationships, we're definitely going to do an episode on on spouses and partners (laughs) because that is, whoo, I don't even know if we can handle that in one episode. In one episode? But we'll start with one. We'll start with one episode (laughs) and we'll see where that goes. Everything in my life in terms of relationships, how I view them, whether they're mine, whether whether they're my kids, everything has changed. Everything has been uprooted. Uh, The way I approach everything is different. And there's so much that you have to carry. You really do. You have to carry a lot. You do. And you just, you can't let anybody hold you back from your healing because your own personal healing is critical to your child. Holding other people's grief if that's holding you back from accepting the normalcy that your life looks like, because it doesn't look like everyone else, but it's still your own normal. If having outsiders come in and they're harming that thought process for you, you can't do it, man. You gotta put up boundaries over that because that's not what it's about. The acceptance of what your your version of normal looks like is really what everyone has to get to it's not easy it is not an easy place to get to but when you're dealing with other people's shit over it (laughs) and their sadness for you and your child it's just gonna hold you back even more and it will affect your kids it will totally affect your kids yeah and not in a positive way (laughs) no no it's going to add so many dangerous layers to the relationships they build if you yeah. don't show them what healthy relationships look like, if you don't teach them yeah. what the boundaries are, it's yeah. going to be so hard for them. I mean, you see the older generations of disabled folks talking about this and, yeah, you know, we, we really have to learn from them. I mean, how many, how many people are out there being like, I have so much internalized ableism because of shit I had to deal with growing up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like, so we can't true. do that. We can't do no. that to our kids. No. If there's anything... And I hope we learn more than this. But if there's anything we can learn from the previous generations is that we can't do that. No. We have to show them that the world is bullshit sometimes. It's fucking bullshit. And they don't have to take it. They really don't. They don't have to take it. it. They don't have to let it affect them. They could see it for what it is. You know, in some situations, you can't protect them from everything. You can't protect them from the world. No. No matter who you are you cannot put your kids in a bubble and pretend like the world is not fucking shitty <laughs> no i mean i say that to i say it to cyrus all the time you know i i tell him that people are gonna view him certain ways simply because of who he is and i'm like you know what cyrus fuck him i always tell Lena, you know? i'm like just fuck him, fuck him Lena. just like, fuck him cyrus fuck like you, whatever fuck you know you, yeah who cares you. they're worthless to you anyway <laughs> cyrus throw them out <laughs> Yeah, I do not want my kid to have to wear kick gloves for other people. That's not what it's about. I am not raising well-behaved children. But I want my kids to be so disgustingly proud of who they are. As they should be. (laughs) As they should be, right? Because they, they are just such incredible human beings. And there is not, I don't ever want Cyrus to sit back. And I'm sure that day will come where he compares himself to other kids but 
I don't want to be the reason he does that. Yeah. And I don't want anybody that's in our immediate life to be the, to reason, be the reason why he does that. And one thing that I always tell him is that every person is different. Every single person on this earth is different. He's different than his brother. His brother is different from him. They're different from me. I'm different from their dad. We are all different human beings. And just because Cyrus does something different doesn't make it better or worse you know gosh Cyrus's life is gonna look so different than Alden's and there's kind of this beauty to that I think because it really does drive it home that every single person is different if Cyrus ever sits there and has a thought comparing himself to somebody else I really hope he sits back for a second and says well this is just how we're different and that's okay it is definitely okay if there's anything you take away from this episode one work on your own mental health please yeah. because in order to create a safe space for your kids and your family and in order to encourage healthy relationships you have to start with yourself yeah and create healthy boundaries and then start projecting that shit onto your kids man start teaching them all the good stuff start teaching them that it, we are different and start teaching yeah. them that it doesn't fucking matter <laughs> And start teaching no. them that normal is some bullshit word. It doesn't even exist. But you can't do that, I have to say, again, you cannot do that until you yourself are in the right headspace. So start yeah. with yourself. Start with the immediate relationships in your in your life and the immediate relationships you have, whether that's with your spouse, whether that's with your parents, your siblings, whatever the case may be, the people that are pretty much every day in your kid's life, start with those relationships and within yourself. Create those boundaries wherever they need to be made and however they look, but be sure that whatever those boundaries are, that you are creating an atmosphere and environment around your children that is fostering a healthy perspective on life and a healthy perspective on themselves. It comes yeah. from essentially leading by example. Please, if you're listening. <laughs> Put your oxygen mask on yes. first and then you can take care of everybody else. <laughs> that is the point. <laughs> That's the point. That exactly. is the point. It's really the truth. We probably say this more than we need to, but it's not like Brittany and I came out the womb <laughs> with these sorts <laughs> of like enlightened ideas it took no. us a while to get to where we are listen guys i paid a lot of money for therapy over the last four and a half years i'm trying to help you from having to pay the same amount of money so you kind of just get like free therapy of things yeah, that i've learned you know, you're we're welcome just, we're just gonna guide you you don't even need a therapist <laughs> We're, we're your pseudo-therapist. Courtney and Brittany, we're just here to save you money on the Jimbo Lissing. <laughs> oh. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in and for listening, and we hope that you enjoyed everything that we had to say. I hope it resonated a little bit. Um, you know, you're always welcome to leave us your feedback. We have a website. Yes. So go to www.bitchingandbullisting.com. We have a little section where you can leave reviews and tell us what you think. And we have another section where you can contact us if you have questions, if you want to be a, a guest here. We are always looking for new guests to come yes. on. Always looking for um, guests. Always looking for guests. So... Yeah, thanks everyone. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to the Bitching and Bolusing podcast. 
Be sure to like and subscribe for future episodes. Previous episodes can be heard on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. If you like what we said, please be sure to give us a share. You can follow us on Instagram at Bitching and Bullising. And you can visit us at www.bitchingandbullising.com.